Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. This week we welcome to the Homebrew Pub, actually a very good friend of mine. Hello Paul! Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm alright. I'm weathering the storm that is British politics right now. <laughs> By the time this comes out, who will we be Prime Minister? We don't know. You might have a new monarch. We Well, that's a constant. Yeah. Uh, and then all the shops will shut for like all week. Yeah. We'll be back in like effective lockdown event. <laughs> well, good health and cheers. Welcome to the Homebrew Pub. Nice, nice to be here. So you recently had a really great article. Well, not I say recently, but uh, in the last Brew Your Own magazine, you had an article about fictional beer. I did, yeah. I've, I've moved my um, fictional beer bullshit stateside, um, <laughs> um, which is really cool, because um, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd written a few for Pellicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, pre-writing for Pellicle, I'd just written for fun, and then... Uh, Matthew kind of encouraged me to do some Matthew Powerful encouraged me to do um, some for him um, which I think was like four or five fictional BBS now for Powerful yeah uh, that's good and then uh, so I sort of sent those articles over to Brew Your Own and was like hey would you guys be interested in a wacky fictional homebrew article and they were like yeah I'm like oh <laughs> Cool. So we wrote um, an article for Heisler, which is like the it's, it's made by a a prop company in America, so it's used like throughout loads of different TV shows like worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of pops up in the background, uh, a bit like like Molly cigarettes, <laughs> um, essentially. Um, so I kind of wrote this article about like an idea that like the entire fictional TV universe is all linked by this beer. Yeah. Um, there's also a really weird beer because um, there are there's like information on the props as like some of the ingredients and the styles, but none of it makes any sense because it was written by like people that didn't really have any idea about beer. <laughs> so, like it was like golden ale using chocolate and Munich malt. And was, like, <laughs> that makes <laughs> zero sense. Yeah, so, <laughs> it is a it is a golden ale made with uh, uh, which is more of an amber ale. But there we go. Uh, yeah. Uh, if I'm going to be authentic, it had to come out of Bonkers, so... Yeah, I'd have never brewed that beer. So I was going to say by choice, but, like, of my... Like, on my own, like, I've never come up with that recipe because it pulled out random bits of ether. Kind of interesting that that beer wouldn't have existed otherwise. I just would never have made it, so... It was an interesting process, that one. But, yeah, it was really fun. They're really fun guys to write for, but you're on. They're really nice. Um, the edit is really cool. 
like they're already talking about homebrew, so mm-hmm. it's really cool. Because you've got, um, and I, I know you can't tell us what it is and, and when, but you do have another article, you're working on another article for them, aren't you? I have, well, I two. I have one that I'm not, that's written and pretty much done, other than might send you like a couple of questions, because the editorial process takes a while. But that that's pretty much done. I don't know when that's coming out. Um, then I have another one which I've just filed the first draft for, which I think he said it was April. Mm-hmm. April's edition that was going to come out. So I've got two two kind of in the can with them um, that aren't like fictional beers because um, I spoke to the editor who's like, we don't want to do like a continuing cycle of fictional beers. And I was like, fair, it is a really niche subject that only I am. A couple of other people are like <laughs> bizarrely interested in. Yeah, um, it is quite niche, but I've done like a couple of other um, interesting things for them, which have been quite um, quite in depth. Yeah, research for one of them it had me going a bit um, a bit cuckoo because I was um, researching um, weights and measures from the 17th century, <laughs> um, which. Uh, we're not standardised, and um, if you read a recipe from the 17th century, you just kind of have to guess what they were talking about. Yeah. Uh, they just assumed you knew, basically. <laughs> that is the problem. They just kind of assumed, like, everybody knows which of the three types of gallons we're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's obviously what you need for water. Well, you've got an uh, imperial uh, gallon, you've got ale gallon, you've got wine gallon. I mean, I don't know why you're complaining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could it be what if, yeah, yeah, so I've just kind of had to, uh, what I did was I eventually picked the one that was most, most convenient for me, Yeah. Um, because I, it wasn't, there was no way to be 100% sure, there was no way to be 100% sure, so yeah, that was funny, that had me um, kind of scratching my head quite a bit, um, that was fun. So... You know, we we connected on Twitter yonks ago. You are the mad brewer, or the mad brewery at the mad brewery, technically. Yeah, Um, somebody at the mad brewer, but he doesn't tweet anything. It's like a ghost account, and I was like, "Yeah, you bastard!" I want your at. (laughs) Have the Y on there, so. But we connected because. you know, you had a similar attitude to us of taking, as you say, fictional realms, universes, galaxies, and trying to brew beer for them. I mean, our first collaboration was um, the Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And and then you came up with a re- uh, recipe for um, Alien, uh, which I think was perhaps the most accurate in-universe beer you could ever think of it was like this japanese hopped plummy ipa with yeah. british hops it was amazing or a uh, british grain i should say um yeah good good fun that there wasn't like a lot of information for that one what's the name that uh wayland yutani ale i think is what we went with no no it's got a, it's got a name it's got a name never mind i'll come to yep. it later um but yeah um, that had less to go on, so I was just like, Japanese and English beers, <laughs> mush them together. Um, so yeah, no, it was pretty funny when I found your podcast, because I was like, there are other people out there that are interested in really nerdy, ridiculous stuff. <laughs> 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 like, I tell the guys at Homebrew Club, and they're like, I'm like, this is based off this video game, and some of them are like, oh, and some of them are like, 
Uh, back away. Like I'm the nerd. We're like the nerds of the nerds. Yeah. So when you're when you're formulating those recipes for like an in-universe beer, so for the alien beer, the idea was if you know the plot of Alien, um, they are searching. Uh, they're out in space mining on behalf of a Japanese-British conglomerate, and um, in the in, in in the Nostromo, this is the beer they're drinking. So when you're coming up with recipes for in-universe beers, how do you think about it? Like, what what's your process for like researching and you know? taking the real world knowing okay this is literally the limit of what we can do with beer to yeah. and here's a mystical realm with xenomorphs and dragons um i think well the first thing i, I look for is any um any in-universe hard information so if there's a prop can and it has any information about the beer if it says it's a pale ale stout or whatever right cool um, sometimes it'll have a percentage on on the yeah. on the can, so that that starts to give me like building up the information. Um, after that, um, obviously we've got what it looks like on the screen. Mm-hmm. It looks like a pale ale. It's going to be a pale ale. <laughs> um, that's kind of easy enough to do. And then it's really about because after that, if you don't really don't have enough information to put a full beer together. It's about looking at like the culture. Of the series, so this is uh, in the case of Alien, a beer that is manufactured by a Japanese English conglomerate, Wayland Yutani. Um, and that was like my idea of well, if they're going to make a beer, it's going to represent both of their heritages. They're going to go right, we're going to include rice in it because you know, Japanese rice beers, but also we're going to have British hops in it because we want to celebrate our British heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the idea I got with um, an IPA. And the idea was it's these long journeys out, a bit like the semi semi apocryphal stories about um, IPAs being highly hot, so they survived the journey over to um, India. Apparently, it's not entirely true. Yeah. Um, but that's the fiction we like to tell ourselves. Um, <laughs> now, well, that's the that's the popular story. If you ask somebody what why they make it highly hot to survive food. So I thought about these long haul, basically like space trucker journeys. They're going to need a beer that's like highly hot that's going to survive the, the trip out there. Mm-hmm. That, and then it's kind of looking at more of a like a fantasy universe. I'll look at the um, actual agriculture, the actual physical environment and think what could they farm here. So I made a beer for... Oh, this didn't get published anyway, this is just one I made for fun. Um, I made Argonian Ale, which is a beer from um, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls game. And our, the Argonians are from a, a region called the Black Marsh, which is this marshland, swampland. So I was like, well, they're not going to have much grain. Grain is going to be a premium in this kind of marshland. It's probably going to be imported. So they're not going to use a lot. So I, so I started out going, well, grain's precious. Let's make it a low ABV beer because they can't afford to put make strong beers. They've got to make you know they've got limited limited barley. Go on. And I was like, well, if it's marshy, they're probably going to be able to grow rice though. So let's whack a bunch of rice in because they'll add rice in the bulk out the um, the beer. And then I was like, well, I want to make it a fruit beer because they're going to have lots of fruit in that region. 
And I was like, what fruit can I use? Oh, it's Skyrim. Let's be whimsical and let's add dragon fruit. <laughs> um, so it's that kind of process. You'll look, I'll look at clues, any kind of hard clues. Then I'll look at kind of the culture and then I'll look at kind of the the physical landscape this beer has come from. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know when we first started talking, um, Game of Thrones came up and the thing that blew my mind about your thought process, and I'm not a Game of Thrones fan, but what's the really cold country up north? It's uh, well, it's the it's the north. The it's the north. The See, north, yeah. Game Game of Thrones, the one was Harry Potter, right? And um, you know, Tyler and I uh, were talking we were like, well, if we were making that beer, we would have just done a stout because it's cold. You want something hearty, and that'll warm you up. And you're like, well, no, it'd be a lager because of the cold temperatures, the cold yeast, how you store it. And, like, your thought process behind that whole thing, like, I suddenly felt very stupid and very unnerdy. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can definitely out-nerd the best of them, to be fair. Like, um, yeah, it, it just, um, so I, I have brewed that before I brewed it because it was, um, it's in the first book um, and it's in the first episode actually that um, Tyrion asked for uh, um, a beer is, I forget it's wording but he wants like a dark beer to go with his bacon for breakfast yeah so it's like a dark beer it's cold it's like even in summer in winter it's snowing mm-hmm. um, so and they have winters that last for years in Game of Thrones so they they would be lager brewers especially because they, they can't essentially grow food for years mm-hmm. Um. So how would you store what food you have? You would make a shit ton of beer because mm-hmm. it's either salt or fermented. That's how you. That's how they can um, um, store their uh, their calories for the winter, for the long winters. So yeah, that was a, a lovely Schwarz beer. Lovely Schwarz beer that I made for that. That was um, quite nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was that was the, that was one of the ones. There was very little information. It was just a guy asked for a dark beer. Yeah, I'm like, oh. So then I had to think about like the area it was coming from the culture and all that side of things because there was nothing else to go on no i mean i i just think that's amazing so when you're when you're thinking about the the beer recipes then and how you're putting them together do you ever think about how you might need to change your brewing process uh for it do you ever try and make your life harder to like make it more in like are you heating up rocks to heat up the mash <laughs> because that's what they would do in arendelle i don't know if that's the right universe I don't know, you know, as far as doing kind of uh, rock, hot rock brews yeah um if anything i will cheat for example i made a sake sake um in inverted commas in case there's some sake brewers out there that <laughs> love the same as um, and for that, I used um, rather than use the traditional sake brewing process, which is weeks long and involves fungal infected rice called koji um, to break down the uh, the starch. Um, I just added alpha amylase mm-hmm. and broke down the starch that way. Um, so I'll cheat. I'll use modern methodology um, to to make the product. Um, do I make my life harder? I do sometimes make my life harder, I guess. Um, like I've done a part of, part of guile through before. What 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 is that? Part of guile. Yeah. So, you know, guile is a 
uh, back to war. Okay. Um, so you'll see, sometimes see breweries going, it's our hundredth guile. And that's they, like their hundredth brew, basically. So part of guile um, is, so usually when you brew, you'll do your first winnings, and then you'll do a um, sparge. Mm-hmm. So part of guile, um, you take that first runnings and you make a beer from that. So you make a usually very strong beer like a barley wine and then you'll take the um, second runnings, you'll take the, the sparge by itself and that will make a really weak. Oh. So you make two beers from the same the same batch. So I did that for a uh, beer made for Wit- uh, the Witcher because there's a uh, a lambic beer in that that is traditionally made from second runnings. So I made a really strong beer from the first runnings, and then I used the second runnings, the second um, to to make the um, is a pharaoh, a, uh, a kind of weak lambic beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll do I will do that sometimes, but I'm not tied to using only technology that this culture might have access to, um, because. Yeah, it could get silly for some of the things I make. It could get really ridiculous. Um, so I'll like for meads, I will add yeast nutrient mm-hmm. stuff like that. I will, I will, I will kind of use modern methods to make um, old beers. Yeah. <laughs> and and what 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 is your setup like? Oh, I am uh, one of the least techie brewers going. Um, I have a, I don't have any like set kit at all. Like. Uh, ready for I, I brew on my kitchen stove. Um, so I have a like converted cool box for a mash tun. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a large soup pan, which is my uh, copper. Um, and then I have a 32 litre converted soup pan with a tap on it, which is my um, my my uh, water boiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the only fancy thing I do have is I do have a um, SS Brewtech metal conical fermenter mm-hmm. because you will save yourself so many infections, so much time and stress by having a metal conical. Yeah. In my, like my one extravagance because like plastic fermenters are just well, you have to replace them after a few months anyway because they, they end up getting scratches and getting yeah. like infected. They just end up being like not very nice and glass. I do not scares the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm going to die. Like I am a clumsy guy. Yeah. So uh, yes, I do not trust myself with like a 23 V air. No. No, 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 no. No, I. So I, I, I have like a collection of stainless steel fermenters, um, and those things more than some of like my fancier stuff if you will like i remember getting my copper wart chiller and thinking no more ice baths and feeling like a real yeah. grown-up boy <laughs> um but the stainless steel you're right because i mean what i do is i'm kind of lazy but after fermentation i just throw pbw in them and i soak it all off and then when they're ready to use again rinse it out sanitize and you are just not worried or you don't have the same worry about infection that you yeah. do with the plastic. Um, even glass, though, because um, the problem with glass is it's only got that very small um, area up top for the bung, or a lot of them do. 
And so you're trying to get in and get out all of the crap that you, you know, fermenting beer leaves yeah. behind. And if you don't get it all, that can infect your next batch. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, the stainless steel is definitely the way to go. But it is an extravagance. It is, but do you know what? I see guys with... And I wouldn't mind, like, a grandfather or a brewmeister um, system. Yeah. Uh, but I am I am a writer and I work in retail. Um, I do not have a lot of money. <laughs> uh, I, do, um, I do not have the, the 700, five, six, 700 quid um, splurge on. But I see guys that have done that, that have put that investment in. And fair play, yep, yeah, they've bought, they've spent six, 700 quid all in one system. Mm-hmm. Fancy as hell, timers, like um, inbuilt, um, like hydrometers, like mm-hmm. all the tech, and then they bung it in a plastic fermenter. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, why is that the one thing that you've like, got a cheap 20 quid? Like, what, what, once you've spent that much, yeah. your wife can't get angrier. Spend the hundred and fifty quid and buy a metal conical for crazy things. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my opinion anyway. I think it's the it's the first fancy thing any brewer should buy before jumping in and getting a um, a grandfather. Absolutely, it's great, but they're essentially a time saving. Yeah, I um, I was having this conversation the other day. Like, you can have the chintziest equipment going and i don't mean that as a slam right for years i was brewing on my uh little propane burner outside um with my 10 gallon pot and my 10 gallon igloo cooler um mash tun and dare i say i made very good beer on it but um i'm with you like the first thing you need to get would be that fermenter because you're more likely to get the infection there than on anything else in your, I mean, especially well, pre-boil. Well, it's where the beer spends most of its time. Yeah, it spends like an hour in the kettle, and then obviously, I mean, in the kettle, it's not going to get infected because you're boiling the hell out of it. Yeah, um, so it is absolutely not going to get an infection there. The infection is going to be in the fermenter. Yeah, uh, or in the transfer somewhere. Um, so that is where the majority of like beer-ending problems go well. Don't go happen is in that fermenter um, in 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 you the rest of your kit if you've got a shitty mash tun doesn't matter you, you'll lose a bit of efficiency yeah like it's not going to be the end of, it's not going to be right that batch of beers out the window it's yeah. going to be like oh either I accept it's a little bit weaker or I chuck in some um, or I chuck in extra malt at the beginning or I um, add some Belgian candy sugar yeah. or extra fermentables in the boil. Yeah, I'd start, yeah, just add some powdered, um, add some dry um, extract. Uh, yeah, just add some dry extract in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, especially like I think, and I get it. A lot of homebrewers are super tech, super into equipment. I find there's there's this obsession with efficiency. Yeah. Over really small batches of beer, like <laughs> homebrewers are, are more focused on saving that like. 30p, yeah. a bit of extra um, uh, malt than some breweries are that could save like thousands by being yeah. like, efficient. Like, 
Um, like they will spend two hundred pounds on a hydrometer. You will never save that much malt to pay for that like no. piece of equipment. <laughs> You'll never save two hundred pounds of malt. Yeah. Uh, but homebrewers just really want to like phone in and get every bit of the process exactly right and like everything be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I admire the homebrewers that can be like that because I just. Yeah. I'm not that like, I'm not that guy that cares about every element of everything being the maximum level of efficiency that it can be. No, I'm I'm with you and I mean there are homebrewers out there that are so obsessive about trying to make commercial grade beer yeah. that they forget that what they're doing is the absolute freedom that you don't have to make commercial grade beer. No, no. You can make beer that you and your family and your mates love that would never sell. Oh no. Arthur's to five mate would be like <laughs> he's like the least commercial stuff you can imagine. Yeah. Like a dragon fruit sour. Um uh yeah, three percent dragon fruit sour. No. That's yeah. not gonna do that <laughs> Well we made that um Scottish Heather French Saison Scotch ale. Yeah. Which was delightful, but, but you it, see that on a tab list, you're not gravitating towards it. No, it's a wee heavy saison scotch heather <laughs> ale. That is, that is going to be a keg, and the bar is going to last a few weeks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it. Like I can make like this is why I rarely make meters. I really, really make uh, New England IPAs mm-hmm. because I can go and drink them. Yeah, anytime I want. So I, if I'm going to make a beer at home, I'm like, well, I'm going to make something that I might not be able to find mm-hmm. somewhere else. And that's that's the brilliant thing about home brewing. You want to brew them skewer, sour style, great. Go make twenty three liters of it, and you have that as your core beer in your house. Yeah, that's. That is the wonderful thing about homebrewing is making whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I, I remember when it was first when I started and I, I, I put in a nitro system. And anyone who knows me knows I love Guinness. Like, if I see Guinness on tap, I'm generally ordering it. And everyone's like, so are you going to brew Guinness? And I'm like, why would I? <laughs> They've already perfected it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to make a dry Irish stout. Yeah, I'm going to screw it up no matter what. So I'm just going to let them do their thing. <laughs> and I'm gonna stick to the crazy shit that I like to brew. Yeah, I mean Guinness isn't even that expensive, so it's no. like, no, I've never made a dry Irish stout to be fair. So sitting here in the homebrew pub, we've got an ever-growing tap list of beers by homebrewers. What is the beer that you are going to be adding to our tap list? I think I would add my English porter. Ooh. Um, my one of my loves is dark beer. I love dark beer. So I work in a in a bottle shop at the moment. I've worked there for uh, about two and a half years now. When I started working there, we had two steps of shelves. We now have two shelves. Of <laughs> you you've expanded um, from Guinness and Smithix. Um, I think it was Tiny Rebel Staple something else, I forget the other one, but yeah, Tiny Rebel Stay Puffed and uh, maybe Magic Rock Common Grounds, which are both like fairly like available in supermarkets, to be honest, they're nothing special. Yeah. Um, 
So you know, I love Darby. I love I love Grain. I love like I know, I like Hops. I do like Hops. But a lot of what I love is coming up with that Grain Bill and like tweaking it and like, moving it around. Which, so for Pale Ales, you don't get as that as much fun. You do like ninety five percent Pale, five percent Wheat. Done. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a meat pair, chuck in thirty percent oat milk, <laughs> and there you go. Um, so yeah, mine was poured with some um, blend of cho- I've got chocolate malt in there. I've got one of my favourite malts that I put in there, um, which is Brie's Extra Special mm-hmm. malt, um, which is made with a very unique process, which makes it 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 tastes like it gives you. The flavours of a dark crystal malt and a chocolate malt in one. Mm-hmm. It gives you like plums and caramel, and it is an amazing malt. And every time I mention it, nobody's ever heard of it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, use if you're going to make stout, if you're going to make pot of pre-sexual special malt. It is absolutely out of It's a fantastic malt. Um, so that gets chucked in there. Um, I use a, a hop. Um, again, which nobody's ever heard of, uh, which is called Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, the British hop. Um, so I was mentioning this, because um, I used it in one of my first recipes for Pellicle, um, and Johnny, who is one of the guys, that uh, one of the co-founders of Pellicle, um, he runs a brewery, he runs uh, New Barnes Brewery in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um he hadn't heard of it. I mean, he's got like a degree in brewing. I was gonna say, like, I've I've met him, and he's, his knowledge of brewing is encyclopedic. Yeah, maybe he's like, I've not heard of this phoenix. Um, so is this criminally underloved hop that is so unique? It has, um, it, it has like a molasses, chocolate toffee flavor mm-hmm. to it, which for my hop sounds bizarre. <laughs> um, but it does, so it works so well in dark beers, and I just never see it anywhere. Nobody ever uses it. Um, so I, I put, I, I use that as a single hop in there. Um, I use a Mangrove Jack Empire Ale Yeast, which is kind of, it's essentially like a London yeast. Um, gives it all these lovely, like, esters, like, choppy in there. So it ends up being this like, chocolatey, toffee, sweet pour out. Without any of the adjuncts in, without any, without chucking like chocolate or cocoa mm-hmm. in there, it has all those flavours coming through in it. So it is this like, and I, you know, I'm not one against adjuncts. I'll, I'll throw all sorts. I'm, I'm the guy that made a mustard beer because Matthew paid me to, <laughs> um, um, and because I was obsessed with mustard beer. For a while. So yeah, um, I'm not a guy that's like against throwing wacky ingredients in, but the thing which Paul is just a classic. Um, malt and hop combination coming through to make something that's really magical. You don't often see um, pores and stouts like that anymore. All, all the practice now is adjunct stouts. Yeah. It's like, we threw cereal in this. And uh, Do you know what it is though? I was talking to a local brewer and um, he told me the secret, at least amongst like Newcastle brewers, um, is a website called Cupcake World. Okay. Which, you know, the little bottles of uh, cake flavouring? Yeah. That's what Cupcake World sells. Well, they sell everything mm-hmm. for cakes, I guess. Um, and that's where they get their flavourings, these beers. So if you see, like, a double chocolate brownie stout, yeah. 
It's cake flavouring. <laughs> it's largely what they put in there. They do not put like actual brownies in, obviously. That's got the fats in that would ruin the thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, often, most often times if you see these like pastry stouts, that's the sort of thing that's going in. It's an artificial flavouring, mm-hmm. uh, which for some of the flavours you just do not need. No. Um, you can you can achieve those wonderful chocolate coffee flavours and toffees with with just malt pops. Yeah. You get those lovely kind of dessert flavours through. So that's yeah, that's what I would have on. That's one of my kind of go-to beers, and I just love brewing. I love the smell of smell of the uh, the malt, the smell of the the wort mm-hmm. um, as you're making it. So it smells like hot chocolate. It's lovely. Um, so yeah, definitely my uh, my English porter. Nice. What I would have on the tap. And we'll be including that recipe in our show notes. Um, so you can brew and drink along with us. But that porter just sounds absolutely delicious. Oh, it's, it is good. It is my... I, I mean, I've always got dark beer kicking around in the, in the garage. Like, that's my kind of go-to. Especially in winter, especially if it's cold. Yeah. Like it is in the moment, I think. I don't really want a pale ale. I want a nice, thick, warming stout. Like, it's like a cocoa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so totally yeah, agree. Um, and is that inspired by any fictional universe, or is it just I wanted to make this warming, lovely English porter? That I started making that before I got on my uh, kind of wacky uh, fictional beers nonsense. To be honest, that's what pre pre fictional beers. One of the first fictional beers that I made though was uh, butter beer from Harry Potter, mm-hmm. which is inspired by that same sort of love of thick. Kind of grain, so that has a similar sort of grain, but obviously less chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but like full of like, um, like crystal malts to give you this big, thick, toffee flavored beer mm-hmm. and that uses Phoenix as well. Um, so that's kind of the almost like the pale version of my English porter. Um, um, and then I chuck cinnamon and yeah, egg and everything else in just, <laughs> just, um, just to make it magical. Yeah, so um, so that carried on. If, if there was a fictional beer that came from that kind of beer, it would be that it, it kind of turned into butter beer. But um, Porter was actually the first beer I ever homebrewed hmm. um, uh, back when I was doing uh, extract brews. So that was, uh, yeah, my love of Porter is, uh, is always been part of homebrewing. Conversely then, what is the beer you brewed that you were like, never again, I've made a huge mistake? Right, and I'll tell you, and I blame, and if you see Denny uh, Cohn, who you mentioned, yeah, he's uh, he's spoken to before, um, I blame him for this. Okay, I'll let him him know. (laughs) Um, So, I was brewing, and I've just done a new version of it, which is going to be a pellicle recipe, so I won't say exactly what beer it is. Um, It's an upcoming pellicle recipe I've done. Um, So, it's based on, like, it's this beer that's like got a like witchcraft vibe going on with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, what could like snare the mind? What could like ensnare a person's senses? And I was like, well, there's, there's absinthe. <laughs> and the, but the primary ingredient for absinthe is wormwood. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear this, like, wormwood, it's like a hallucinogen. It's not really. Um, it's all kind of bit. It was part of the hype campaign for absinthe, basically, yeah. that people say this. 
Um, the reason people went off the rock as an absinthe is because it's seventy percent. Yep. Um, not because of any weird ingredient. And um, and it burns oh. the hell out of your throat. Um, yeah. So wormwood. Um, it's a weird herb. So I was reading Experiment Homebrewing. Great book. Um, yeah. So I was going through there. Um, and I was like, okay. And they had wormwood in there as an ingredient. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. They were like, 30 grams is equal to about um, this amount of IBUs. I was like, oh, right, okay, so I'll do 30 grams. I'll put 30 grams of, of wormwood in my 5 litre beer and it was to that level of bitterness. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Um, so I brewed it. I did my mash, did my boil, put it in the boil, cooled it. All right, before I bottle it, I'll have a taste. Tasted um, the most disgusting liquid <laughs> I've ever tasted. Not even the worst beer. It tasted like um, just chemical, mm-hmm. blue solvent, wax, <laughs> and without any hesitation. Did you know you make a bad beer? You'll sometimes like try and rescue it. Yeah. Like, desperately, you'll be like, "What if I?" Like put in this yeast, or if I dilute it a bit, or you know, or what if I mask it with like this different herb yeah. or adjunct? Oh, yeah. yeah, and it never really works, but sometimes you give it a go. Right, no, without hesitation, I turned around my um, walk pan, I opened the tap, and I drained it into the sink. <laughs> like no, no, like a, like literally an instinctive reaction. I tasted this beer, and I was like, nope. Nope, done. Nope, and then it just drained it all into the thing. Um, it was absolutely horrible and foul. Hilariously, I then read a book called um, Make Beer Like a Yeti. I've heard of that. Yeah. He did another one called, I forget the guy's name, I'm going to his book here. Oh, I think I've got too many books. No, I've got his book here, but we'll, we'll find him. But it, um, yeah, so I was reading that book like a couple of years later, and and he does like quite herbal, like rustic kind of style of beers. That's the title of the book. And he was like, So I made this beer with 15 grams of wormwood, and it was the most disgustingly powerful <laughs> I've ever tasted. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, mate, try, try using double that. Um, so um, I then have tried using minute amounts of wormwood. Yeah. At like 5 grams in a 23 litre batch. It is drinkable, <laughs> but it does not add anything pleasant. So I just came to the conclusion: just don't put wormwood in beer. Yeah. Don't don't do it. Um, so if Jenny ever does the revised edition of uh, Experiment Homebrew, they just need they just need that below wormwood. Just do not use this. Definitely don't add in the, like an ounce. Yeah. Of um, of wormwood. Never do that. Yeah, that. I mean, that technically never even became beer, I guess, because I never even mentioned it. <laughs> um, I didn't let it become beer. I stopped it before it got that far. Yeah, don't use wormwood. Paul, we are sitting in the mystical homebrew pub that'll turn itself into anything you want it to be. We're going to be sitting here drinking your English porter. So tell me the name of your brew pub and what the atmosphere is. I mean, it's got to be the laboratory. Oh, I like that. Got to be, um, just to be on brand. Um, so I would want it to have that kind of like laboratory vibe aesthetic. So I'd, 
it would have like beakers and bunts and burners it would look like have kind of a lab paraphernalia kicking about and it would specialize in all of like the weird like like home brewed beers like we were talking about mm-hmm. it would be like a tap lineup of absolute crazy nonsense <laughs> um but i'm funded by some rich uh, billionaire backer, so I don't have to worry about making money. Uh, <laughs> so, so I can put on like triple coconut fruited goza and dragon fruit pharaoh and uh, whatever else fancy mm. thing on. Nothing normal ever. Um, and yeah, people would come and try all these wacky stuff and maybe hit them all, um, but I wouldn't care. Yeah. I, I I think that's beautiful. Would you would you be showing um, like fantasy and sci-fi movies um, in there as well, or would it be would it would it look like Doctor Frankenstein's lab? Yeah, no, I think I think I have to just go on on because otherwise it would be a it would be like a Jackson Pollock if I tried to like include all of the fictions that I like. It would be all sort <laughs> Um, crazy stuff. It would. I think I would keep it on brand, and it would be like it would be like laboratory. I would serve like cocktails that you have to like mix yourself. <laughs> and, like beer cocktails with like you would add in like ingredients and stuff. Yeah. Uh, at the table, uh, lots of dry ice for effect. <laughs> um, like flaming, flaming homers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all that. All kind of wacky. Everything would be fun. It would be fun. Yeah. Uh, it's what it would be. That is beautiful. Well, everyone, come and join us here at the laboratory. I had to concentrate on how to say that properly because I now say laboratory. Um, But come and join us here at the laboratory and grab an English porter or a triple coconut fruited goza or whatever your hearts desire. Paul will have somehow created it. Damn straight. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to throw out what your social handles are and, and all um, that fun stuff? Yeah, so you can find me on um, Twitter mostly. I am also on Instagram now, but I don't go on there too often because I'm old. Um, and that's at the Mad Brewery. Um, you can find um, my Pelicle recipe at uh, Pelicle Mag. Um, they're on Twitter. Also, the website link is available through their Twitter. And uh, you can find me at uh, Brewery Magazine. Or I do have the Heiser recipe is on their website, but it is paywall. Yeah. So you do have to subscribe if you want to read it. And I do recommend that if you're coming up with some crazy recipes or um, want to know how much Szechuan pepper to throw into a beer, these are real Not conversations time. Paul and I have had. Reach reach out to him because you are such a wealth of knowledge of how flavors play within beers or could potentially play in beers um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I think, I think Andrew, that I think you've got to the point where you are tricking me there, though, because I think when I, when I first started, like, when I first started doing our collaborations, I feel like I was pushing you. You were like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> and, like, why are we... Like, you were like, can we make a wee heavy set on it? Like, yes, of course we can make it. There's no set. rules! Um... And then we got Pablo's recent beer, which we haven't recorded yet, um, so I won't say what it is. Um, but you created something that scared me. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, "Are you sure we can do this? Are you sure this isn't going to be like 
awful, and you were like, no, no, trust me, <laughs> and this is going to work, and I was like, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a huge thank you to Paul, also known as The Mad Brewer. Seriously, reach out to him on Twitter, at The Mad Brewery. He is honestly just such a wealth of knowledge of thinking about beer differently and the crazy flavors you can put in it. And as he said, he's pushed me to up my game to the point that I now hopefully am pushing him to up his game and hopefully this competition doesn't get out of hand. And of course, thank you so much for listening. If you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast, that'll just help other people find the show. If you want to reach out to us, possibly come on and share a pint with me. You can reach us at our website, thehomebrewpub.com, or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com, or on social, at thehomebrewpub on Instagram and Twitter. And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.